Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. everybody. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. This is Danielle. It's been a little while. We took about a month off for the holidays and for New Year's and we always miss podcasting so much when we're not doing it. But it was also a much needed break. Uh, We got to spend some time with the kids and Adam was working a lot. And honestly, it was just really a good time to recharge a little bit. And we've been working the entire time planning awesome things for 2023. Our date night book came out in paperback, which was really exciting. Um, If you haven't gotten it yet, or if you're looking to get it for a Valentine's Day gift, please head to our website, marriagemartinis.com slash DNQ. And you can use our code for our largest discount for our podcast listeners, which is podcast 15. Um, So that was really exciting. And Adam and I will be back next week with episodes, just the two of us. But this week, I know a lot of you had been asking, um, been messaging me and emailing me, when am I going to have the episode with the ADHD professional because we put out the episode with Adam and me and it just always, of course, helps to hear an expert talk about it. So I reached out to Ryan Wexelblatt and uh, I, I had heard so many amazing things about him. He refers to himself as the ADHD dude And he says that he created the ADHD dude because he realized that most families of kids with ADHD are getting ineffective help, losing valuable time and spending a lot of money with little results. They provide parents with the with the training they need to help their children build skills, improve behavior and most importantly, feel better about themselves. And I loved this conversation. He mostly talks about younger boys and how ADHD impacts them. Um, But a lot of his advice can be used across the board. We talk a lot about kids who aren't willing to do their homework without a fight, who aren't willing to uh, admit that they need to maybe have some kind of structure and routine uh, and, and just medication and all of these questions that I know so many of you have. So please enjoy this episode. I think he is wonderful. Go check him out at the ADHD dude on Instagram. Check out his website. He does parent coaching and he talks about why parent coaching is so much more effective for kids with ADHD um, than let's say therapy, talk therapy. 
So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. And we will be back next week, just me and Adam. Thank you so much for all your patience as we took some time off. And enjoy. Hey, Ryan, I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. So you go by the ADHD dude. Opposed, yeah, apparently which, that's what they call me, yes. <laughs> which I think is so clever and so relatable. Thank um, you. And how long have you been the ADHD dude? Yeah, so I started, uh, actually, when I moved to uh, New Jersey, what was it, I guess, four years ago, um, I started making some content just to try to, you know, get my name out there in, in uh, New Jersey. And uh, I, I came up with this, and uh, I didn't really expect anybody to pay attention, but it kind of worked. Yeah, so that's how. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you have... I, I, you said you have a, you you have a son who is ADHD. Yes, are he you, turned. Are you yep. diagnosed ADHD? No, I'm not. Okay, no. just yeah. your son. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. And how old is he now? He turned 25 yesterday. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Adam and I recently did an episode just a few weeks ago because you know we've we've been talking so much with our audience and our listeners mm -hmm. about our experience with ADHD because. Mm -hmm. Our daughter, who's 17, was just diagnosed two years ago at 15, um, you know, went under the radar for years. And that happens. Yeah, totally. We always knew there was something, but we didn't mm -hmm. quite know what. And um, and I mentioned to you before, she also had autism spectrum mm -hmm. disorder. And our son, um, who is now 14, was diagnosed at around eight Mm -hmm. But nobody really knew what to do with him because um, when we went into school to get him a value and uh, to get him accommodations and everything, basically we were met with, well, he's not a behavior problem. His grades are good. He doesn't need accommodations. Right. So, you know, so that was, and that was before I knew about advocates and, and all of this. Yeah. But I think that the hard thing for so many of us parents um especially with young boys, I want to say, is that so many, when you look at the list of sim symptoms, is that the mm -hmm. right word? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that you have even on your website, like you, you can read them and, you know, for most kids, you can check them all off, right? Like, you know, is defiant when you talk to them or what, you know, gets, tries to get out of doing something they don't want to do, or, you know, is, is really loud. Or mm -hmm. I remember my pediatrician always used to say like, does he, does he run around? Like he's attached to a motor. I was like, well, yeah, but he's like a kid, you know? Right. Right. So I think for so many of us we're like, okay, well, what, what is just them being a kid? And when do those red flags start to appear that we're like, okay, that's not just being a kid. Right. You know, I have a saying that parents are unintentionally misled the second they receive a diagnosis for their child. And what I mean by that is that we don't do a great job of educating parents about what ADHD actually is. And most parents, I, I you know, I read a statistic that said 60% of parents are actually given the American Academy of Pediatric Treatment recommendations, which I find very hard to believe because I've that is not my experience that 60% of parents get that information. So I think to to your point, it's right, it's it's it's, it's there's two pieces here. There's you know, discerning what is you know typical boy behavior versus, you know, what is actually ADHD. And to kind of complicate things, you know, I have another saying that, you know, school was not designed for boys and school was definitely not designed for boys with ADHD, you know? 
So it's, you know, it's, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, we're about 50 years into really, you know, recognizing ADHD, maybe a little less, and we still have so far to go. Not, not in terms of the research piece. I mean, yes, there, but in just in terms of disseminating information and educating people, that's a huge part that's missing from this field. Right. And I think not only for parents, although obviously for parents, but you know, if they say, what is it, 10% of boys have ADHD? Is that the statistic? I think 10 or 8. Yeah, I can't remember which one. Yeah. yeah. And so my question is always, you know, if they know it's so common for for kids to have ADHD, and now we know a lot of girls do also, mm-hmm. like, for forget about even parents, although obviously they need to be educated. Why aren't we educating kids, you know, like, not just about themselves, but about interacting with kids who have ADHD and interacting, yeah. you know, what, okay, well, we all mature at different speeds and, you know, right. you, this is why you need to be more patient. And like, there's no, I mean, there's just no communication about any of it on any level. And it drives me, I think it's wild. Like it drives me mad. This is what keeps me up every night, honestly. Yeah, right. it's it's incredible, really. I think to your point, you know, we don't really take ADHD very seriously in this country. Um, we we kind of look at it, and I think including the you know part of the mental health field, we kind of look at it as just this kind of you know, not, I'm not going to call it the joke diagnosis, but it's the diagnosis that anybody can deal with. You know, just hang up lists, and that's all there is. And you know, and and I think that's kind of it's more of a systemic problem in our culture that we don't really take it seriously. To your point about why are we not educating kids? You know, I don't know if you know this, but teachers get really little to no education in ADHD, and that includes special ed teachers, mm. you know, as as well. And, and I always tell parents when they express frustration with their child's teacher, I say to them, you know, don't be frustrated with your child's teacher or teachers. Um, if you have an issue with the, the fact that the teachers don't, are not well-educated about ADHD, then go to the school administration and tell them that you need some, that teachers need some professional development. And interestingly, I will tell you, you know, I have parents reach out to me all the time saying, you know, can you do something for our school district or our school? I almost, I don't think I've ever had a public school district reach out to me for, for uh, training for ADHD. I have private schools do, but, mm-hmm. but rarely public schools. And yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, here we are, we have this issue that is so rampant and there's, there's really not much headway being made in at all, you know, in, in the, in a curriculum, in a, in a setting of, you know, discussing it more, even reading articles about it and stuff in school. And, you know, like how we used to read like the scholastic news or whatever, yes. I mean, give the kids an article. I just, I just don't get it, but you know, I, I think that one of the things that is such an issue is that once once you you think your kid has some of the symptoms and then you know you go to the school and there's not so much that they do right mm-hmm. it's sort of like a very minimal amount that they either evaluate or they'll watch in classes or whatever I think that that the next steps are so big and so scary that sometimes I think people just are sort of like paralyzed, you know, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. now what now? Okay. So my kid has ADHD or I think he does now what? Right. 
Well, and that's back to my point about that, that parents are unintentionally misled as soon as their kid gets a diagnosis. I mean, for a lot of families, it's, you know, uh, here, you know, here's a script for medicine. Oh, here's a therapist, you know, goodbye. And therapy is not even a recommended treatment for kids with ADHD, which is the incredible thing, mm. you know, and that's what most families get if that. Right. Yeah. Because right. that's what everybody thinks of with ADHD, right? Because there's, you know, everybody sort of feels like it's all about um, executive function skills and it's all about, you know, being unorganized and forgetting your homework and which I know obviously happens often, but there are these other components that like, you know, my son's teachers will sometimes say to me like, oh, he has ADHD. He's, I, I never would have known when he was in class, right? Because he's, again, he's not the kid who's forgetting his homework and he's not the kid you know, but if she, and there's 30 kids in the class, mm-hmm. so how, how much can she really watch him? But, you know, if he was, if, if she was seeing him in a social situation rather than an academic situation, then she would see it, but she wouldn't almost even know what to look for because everybody assumes ADHD is this one list of things that are all very yes. closely connected. Right. So I, what I explain to people, I say ADHD, what it actually, first of all, ADHD is a horrible name because it doesn't describe what it is. I think it, yeah, eventually it will be called this name, which is accurate, which is executive function developmental delay. So when we talk about executive functioning, kids with ADHD are approximately two to three years behind their chronological age in terms of their executive function skill development. So for example, if you have a 13 year old, you know, their executive function skills are that more of a, you know, a 10 year old or an 11 year old. And one of the things is that people tend to think that the term executive functioning or executive function skills means academic organizational skills. But it really, um, you know, it executive functioning, uh, you know, affects all as, you know um, aspects of of our life, from emotional regulation to you know planning ahead um, to flexibility to all these different areas that are just typically not thought of as executive functioning, but they are. Right. So yeah. it, it can be and it can be in social situations also. Oh, absolutely. One of my, the, my big topics I talk about that I just presented uh, the other week at the uh, National ADHD Conference was on what I call social executive function skills. So absolutely, it, it affects for many kids, it affects their ability to connect with other kids. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And so for people who might not know what what goes under those social executive function skills. Yeah. So really the foundation of this is perspective taking. So understanding others' thoughts and feelings and understanding how you're coming across to others. 
So that's that is that's kind of the 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 main one. So what I if what that tends to look like in kids is if you know somebody's child, they tend to have one way conversations where they talk at people, you know, about their interests um, or don't really show interest in others um, or have difficulty understanding how their tone of voice might sound, you know, to somebody. Um, that's perspective taking skills. And often what you know this is confused as being a lack of empathy, which really drives me crazy when people say that because in my experience, kids with ADHD tend to have more empathy than your average person. It's absolutely not a lack of empathy. It's a lack of perspective taking. Um, the other main one is what we would call situational awareness or what people often call reading the room. So how do you take, you know, information and put it, you know, go into an environment, put it all together, make meaning of it and figure out what you should be doing. So a lot of kids with ADHD can do fine in structured or semi-structured social situations where they struggle is unstructured social situations, which is why I say the hardest subject in school for many kids with ADHD is recess. Right. Or lunch. You know. Yeah. And lunch. Yeah. That's, that yeah. would be a second. Yeah. Right. Right. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I, it's so interesting because I, I had a parent reach out to me when I was doing, when I was planning for our last ADHD episode that Adam and I did uh, together. And she said, you know, my son gets in trouble in school and his punishment is always that he has to miss recess. Mm -hmm. And she's sort of like, that to me makes absolutely no sense. Like here he is, he's an energetic kid and then he's not being able to go to recess. Like she's like, it just, none of it adds up. Well, I think that speaks to how poorly educated educators are about ADHD. I mean, that is bad for all kids to miss recess, but particularly bad for kids with ADHD. Yeah. And when I hear parents tell me that, and I, I what I tell them is go above the teacher's head and go to the school administration, because that's not appropriate at all. Right. And that's the yeah. part with, I think, my, like my husband said, because he has ADHD too. And when he was in back in school, because mm -hmm. You know, when he was a younger ADHD wasn't like a thing, you know, there was ADD, but nobody was really talking about it at all. Mm -hmm. And right. so he said, he's like, look, he's like, we were just the bad kids. You know, there was no right. diagnosis. They, they didn't know we were just the bad kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the whole thing of there's this very fine line between boys are being boys or kids are being kids. And this is, you know, real. This is ADHD. Right. And so for people who say like, yeah, like you said, ADHD, it's, it's not real. It's, you know, people who say that, what, what can someone say to that? Cause like, I know kids say to my son, like, oh, come on, we're all a little ADHD. Stop using that as an excuse. And he's like, no, 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 I really have it. Right. <laughs> So I think that just speaks to what I was saying before, how ADHD is not taken seriously in, in our culture. You know, think about how many times you've heard, heard somebody joke and say, oh, I'm so ADHD, you know, or that's, you know, my ADHD kicking in when they don't really have it. You know, you've never heard anybody joke about autism like that, you know. So, so why is it okay that we joke about ADHD like that, but don't joke about autism like that? Well, the reason why is because, you know, we consider autism a disability. And I think many people consider or look at ADHD as a character flaw you know, rather than a neurodevelopmental difference. Right. Yeah. It's like something that you just weren't taught or, you know, you haven't worked hard enough to achieve. Right. Like you're a slacker. Right. It's, you know, you're a hot mess. You're a, you know, I think a lot of moms even, you know, we, we say to ourselves, oh God, I'm such a hot mess. I can't do this. I can't do that. Which first of all is because we're, we're way in over our, you know, heads. Right. And secondly, because I think there are a lot of moms out there who are, not diet, we're never diagnosed ADHD. And, you know, mm -hmm. so 
there, I think there are so many of us who were, who are, you know, you, you walk into the house and it's not clean or whatever. And, and, and it's, it seems like, oh my God, like what's she doing with all her time or whatever, but really it's, wow, it's doesn't matter how much time you have. You can't, right. you can't figure out what to do with it or where to put it or, you know, and so there is that whole mentality of like that whole slacker kind of mm-hmm. like hot mess shit show kind of yeah. thing. And, and that's really hard because I think that it, it, it can make somebody, you know, there's that like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, okay, I guess I'm a hot mess. I guess I'm a shit. And, and really it's, it's something real going on. Right. So ADHD is one of the most heritable conditions there there is, meaning that the ADHD is passed down about 70% of the time from parents to children. Um, and, and to your point, there's really, there's, you know, what I always say is that anybody born before 1982 probably was not diagnosed as a child. Mm-hmm. So what I find a lot is a lot of moms getting diagnosed in adulthood. Um, and for a lot of them, you know, it's, I mean, it's great because that now gives them some context for understanding why they've struggled with certain things their whole life. Um, but, but the fact is, you know, it's, it's hard to make up for all those years that you missed when you were, you know, being able to develop skills because you didn't have any frame of reference for understanding what was going on with you. No fault of your own. Mm-hmm. Right. So no. it is something going on in the brain though. Right. I mean, absolutely. For people who yeah. say, Oh, come on. It's just, you know, you need, you need to just leave the house earlier and you'll get, you know, and you'll get there earlier or, you know, you won't be late or, you know, have bins in your kitchen and you'll be able to keep like, these are all things that it's, it's not that you can't do it because you're not trying hard enough. Right. You can't do it because there is something going on. Right. Dr. Russell Barkley, who's, you know, known as kind of the, the godfather of ADHD in the United States, he has a saying that it should be called intention deficit disorder, not attention deficit disorder, because t- you're intending to do something, but, w- you know, whatever happens, happens, and you don't get to it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I m- remember my daughter when she was trying to explain what was going on with her, and she was suffering so much because, you know, she was she would sit down to do her work and she just would freeze. She mm-hmm. wouldn't know where to start. And, you know, and so for her, and we have an executive functions coach for her. She's had her for almost, uh, I think over two years and she's mm-hmm. been wonderful. Good. Really, really wonderful. I recommend, you know, to people all the time, like an executive functions coach, if that is your child's issue with ADHD, I think they're fantastic. Now for the kids who have more of the impulsiveness and, you know, they're not taking the social cues and they have sort of the hyper fixations and all these things that an executive function coach really isn't aligned with these aspects of ADHD. What do these parents do? Yeah. So I just, I want to address first that I think both in the mental health mental health field and the coaching field, there's, there's still a tremendous lack of understanding about ADHD. And the reason I say that is, you know, I want people to understand because by far the number one comment I get from parents is, you know, we tried therapy for years or we tried coaching and it, you know, it didn't work. 
And what I want people to understand first is number one, you know, therapists such as myself really get no training in ADHD. I mean, I had to really go and seek all this out on, on my own. I mean, this took me on a journey across the country um, because I just, I didn't get any training in this in graduate school and the training available for it is, is very minimal. So, so that's, you know, the first thing, you know, on the mental health side. On the coaching side, what I want people to understand is that coaching is an unregulated, unlicensed field. So anybody can technically call themselves an ADHD coach or an executive function coach. They don't need to have any training. They don't need to have any experience. They can just you know, start saying that they're a coach. So what I often find with coaching is that... Um, you know, a lot of them just focus on the academic, you know, executive function skills, which is fine. You know, lots of, lots of kids need that. Um, the, you know, the thing that I always tell parents is that whoever you're going to work with, you need to ask questions, you know, don't go by somebody's website. Don't go by their social media. Don't go by what they tell you ask questions about what is their training? What is their experience? Do they have a background in child development? Those kind of things. Um, to answer your question, you know, about what does somebody do? Well, I personally, I go by the American Academy of Pediatrics treatment recommendations for ADHD, which are medication management in conjunction with parent training. So the reason for why it's parent training and not therapy is that kids with ADHD, they live in the present. You know, they have difficulty often recalling emotions from past experiences, which is called episodic memory. And they have difficulty with nonverbal working memory, or what we would call future thinking skills. So the way they learn most effectively is in the moment, which means parents have to receive training to understand how to create that scaffolding around kids to build executive function skills and build social skills and build emotional regulation skills. So parents, to me, are are really the you know need to be the focus here um you know it's not it's not sending your kid to therapy and fixing them you know that's not what this is about it's you getting the training you need to understand how to support them so there isn't so there is there are there places though like you know the how do you feel about social skills groups and everything for these kids like yeah so here's what the research shows. The research shows that social skills groups are ineffective for kids with ADHD when when in in you know clinic based settings, office settings. That's what the research shows. Um, you know that's one of my areas of specialization. Again, I can also tell you people get no training in this. The social learning field is a relatively new field, and you know anybody can say they run a social skills group. I mean, tomorrow you can you can say you run a social skills group, and you'll get kids. You know, mm -hmm. but but the research shows that they're not effective. So what about if you're, you know, there are these wilderness programs and there are all of those, I mean, are those more effective when they're out or it all depends on who's running it? Well, I think it's two things. I think one, it, it depends on who's running it, their training, you know, and, and the other part is um, what is, what is your expectation of what they're going to gain from it? A lot of those wilderness programs are kind of last resorts for, for people who are, who have, for families who have really, you know, gotten stuck in, in a rut kind of where, where things are at. Um, and I'm not saying this with any blame, but really often what we find is a reason for that behind that is what we would call parental accommodation. So parents changing their behaviors to placate kids and to keep them, you know, calm, which in the long run is not helpful. Right. Yeah. So for these, the, the parent sessions of figuring out how to you know learn how to build the scaffolding for your kids, obviously just giving us an overview and nitpicking about a few really important things that you think need to take place. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little 
tidbit of what you tell parents? Yeah, well, I'm going to, I'll tell you what kind of the, some of the key points I teach. So I have a parent training program that's um, in a membership site. Um, and the reason I created that is because I want people to have a cost-effective way of, of getting this information um, because I'm expensive, you know, and meeting with me is expensive. So I want everyone to be able to, you know, afford this and work on it on their own time. So for instance, I have a series called Executive Function Crash Course for Parents. So one of the big things in with ADHD is we have to shift the way we use language. So for kids who are what we call prompt dependent, meaning, you know, you're saying, put on your shoes, get your jacket, get your backpack, you know, then that is parents acting as their executive functioning. When we change our language and help them build their internal dialogue, that helps them move from prompt dependence towards independence. So that's one thing I teach. Another strategy I teach is um, how to help kids feel time. So not tell time, but feel time. So the things that we typically see like timers or that red countdown timer, those are gimmicks. Those don't teach you how to feel time. The way we actually learn to feel time is in unit volume. So looking at an analog clock, that's all you need to do this. Um, you know, is is that. Um, another thing I teach is how to, you know, help kids build the resiliency to persevere through non-preferred tasks. So because kids with ADHD live, you know, in the present, we have to incentivize getting through things that they have difficulty sustaining attention on, um, you know, in order to drive that motivation when it's not there for something because it's not interesting to them. Um, so does that, might... what does that look like? Does that look like bribery? Does that look like, you know, how, how do you incentivize a kid to get, because yeah, that's so many of us yeah, I don't, you know, our kids don't want to do the homework. They don't want to do the chores, so, you know, so are we promising them something at the right. end? Well, so two things, you know, in, like in terms of homework, what I teach is how to structure homework in a way for that goes from, you know, um, uh, hardest for your brain to get through to easiest for your brain to get through. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And also taking little breaks where you reward yourself. So let's say, you know, English, particularly writing is hard for a lot of kids with ADHD because writing is all executive functioning. Um, you know, after you're done your English homework, then you get, to, you know, five minutes of YouTube, right? So there has to be little rewards built into things to drive their motivation. You know, for things like chores, um, you know, I don't, I don't believe that those are things that we should incentivize. Um, rather that I believe kids need to earn things by contributing to their family. I have a saying, I call it high giving, low expectations that I see a lot in a lot of families of kids with ADHD, where kids are given everything and nothing is expected of them except academic performance. And in those cases, what I always find is the kids behavior at home is extremely immature at home, but nowhere else. And what I always tell parents is kids with ADHD need to feel useful. And if they don't feel useful, they're going to resort to pretty immature behavior, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, I have a parent behavior training program and in, in that what I teach is, you know, how to not accommodate in flexibility, because when you accommodate in flexibility, it causes it to grow. Um, I teach how to, you know, not get into what I call the argument reasoning negotiation vortex, um, you know, those kind of things, um, how to have what, what we would call supporters. So, you know, if your child has, you know, pretty significant behavior at home, whether that's being destructive or being physically, you know, aggressive towards you, um, how do we enlist people to help support? them because when kids know that their behavior at home is no longer kept a secret, it tends to subside those kind of behaviors. Mm. You know? um, and then in this, you know, my socially smarter series, I teach how do you help build perspective taking skills and build situational awareness, those types of things. Right. Like reading yeah. facial expressions, social cues, all of that. Well, reading facial expressions is not difficult for kids with ADHD. Yeah, okay. that that tends to be difficult for some people with autism, um, but it's it's more about understanding how you're coming across to others, you know, and understanding. So let me give you an example. So 
lot of elementary schoolers with ADHD, because of their difficulty with perspective taking, they tend to be bossy or controlling in play situations. And often when other kids are not doing what they went on the playground or during recess, they report, you know, to the recess age of their parents, they say, well, I'm being bullied. Well, the reason they say they're being bullied is because other kids said, I'm not going to play with you, you know, or they just walk away because they're not going to deal with being yelled at and being told what to do. Mm -hmm. So if you have difficulty understanding how you're coming across to others, that could be perceived as bullying. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so true too, because I think that the fixation on this is what I want to do. This is going to be you know, the, the activity that we're going to do and they, it, you know, it, it it can come across instead of being them being passionate and wanting to do it. It's very bossy. Yes, exactly. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, that we live that man. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But you know, sometimes like, especially with Ian, our, our 14 year old Mm -hmm. who has ADHD, he, he, when he gets very loud and he gets, where, you know, that whole thing where like a motor is attached to him, you know, as the pediatrician used to say, and, and, and he would, and we say to him, like, oh my God, you, you got to chill, like, you got to calm down. And, you know, like, you're going to annoy everybody, you know, at Thanksgiving, we were with all our cousins and whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we were like, dude, you got to just calm down. And he, his re- response is always, I can't control it. And, and obviously I know, we know to a sense, absolutely, that's true. And so it's a hard balance between as a parent, okay, I know he really does have ADHD and he can be off the wall and he probably can't control it. However, I also can't allow him to, you know, go through life saying I can't control it because the world doesn't care, (laughs) you know? So where is that balance and, and what do you respond to I can't control it or it's not my fault or, you know, any of those. Yeah. So I just, you know, I'm, I actually am just reading a book right now called The Gift of Failure, which is a fantastic book. Um, and in it, one of the things that the author talks about was that in the United States, we tend to have more of a fixed mindset than a growth mindset, meaning we're, we're typically more likely to say somebody can't do something rather than they can learn to do something. And what I find is when parents say, you know, uh, well, he can't do that. He has ADHD or he can't do that. He has lagging skills. That's a big one I I hear. You know, he can't. He has lagging skills. Well, that's basically saying my child is incapable of growth, you know, and whereas we, you know, with your example with Ian, we can, you know, to say if, you know, he would say, well, you know, I can't calm down. And my response to that would be. I understand your brain makes it hard for you to calm down and you can learn to get better at, at calming down on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a growth mindset. Right. And what does that look? Does that look like breathing exercises? Does that look, I mean, what are some of the tools that you can give them to in the moment when they are off the wall, you know, more so than the average 14, 13, 15, you know, year old? What are some of those tools? Yeah. Well, two, I, two things I just want to mention about that. You know, one of the things is I find kids with ADHD for reasons I don't fully understand are incredibly skilled at uh, getting negative attention. Okay? And what I always say is for kids with ADHD, you know, negative attention is better than no attention. So I find a lot of kids will, you know, act up or act in certain ways because it gets their parents undivided attention and their emotional reactivity. And for the ADHD brain, it's novelty seeking. So if I can get your reaction, right, to a way I'm acting, that's novelty 
to me. So they're not doing this to be bad, quote, right? They're doing it for attention-seeking reasons because they're novelty-seeking. Now, that being, I, the reason I bring that up is because I, I so commonly find that parents feed into this behavior with, with attention. You know, I've had parents say to me, you know, oh, well, it takes him an hour to calm down and he needs me to calm him down. I say, that's absolutely not true. He can calm down on his own. You're feeding into this with attention. And what I teach is, you know, we give purposeful recognition and praise to the behaviors we want. We don't give attention to the behaviors we don't want. In the case of, of what you said, I think two things. It depends on the context of the situation. It depends on the child's age. So, you know, one of my friends, when their son was younger, they used to they used to talk about the button on your forehead and they used to, you know, put their finger to far, you know, the forehead to tell him to calm down. You know, for other kids, it might be going outside and, and taking, you know, a walk or, you know, running a lap, those kind of things. So it really kind of depends on, on the kid um, and the situation we're in at the time. You know, for a lot of kids with ADHD in school, you know, just taking a walk to go to the office and do an errand, a lot of teachers figure out that's a good way to help kids, you know, regulate. Um, sometimes we need, you know, uh, sensory, some sensory input. So like the rubber bands that go around chairs or squishy balls, not fidget spinners. I can't stand them. Right. But, but we need, you know, our yoga ball to sit on those types of things. Right. Yeah. Right. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. And, and I think that it is important to have that communication with the teachers and everything, you know, to be able to say to them at the beginning of the year, you know, and for some who don't have a IEP or a 504 for whatever reason, mm -hmm. either, you know, it's not the right fit of accommodations or because they couldn't get one still to reach out and say, listen, you know, we know this about our child. Our child knows this about him right. and, and start that conversation from the beginning of the year. Like these are all things maybe that, you know, you could put into place that aren't big enough of accommodations, like giving extra time for homework and stuff. But again, like you said, if you can send him to the office, if there's a group project and you can put him with um, a group of kids who, you know, are more mm -hmm. patient. So anyway, so, you know, to, to have that communication open with the teachers yeah. from the beginning is really great. And the guidance counselor. Yeah. You know? I, I always tell parents, okay, the beginning of the school year before school even starts, the most helpful thing you can do is not send a long letter to the, your, your child's teacher or teachers, but make a bullet list of things that would be helpful for them to help them be successful in class. And on top of that, so say, here's the things that could, you know, help Ian be successful, you know, and, you know, you have my full support. So anything I can do to help you, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do. I think one of the things we've lost sight of in, in our country is that there's, and particularly I will tell you in, in the, you know, the, um, in the, what we would call the, you know, neurodiverse world, the ADHD and autism world, there's a lot of teacher bashing. I see a lot of teacher bashing on in Facebook parent groups. Um, and that is never helpful. You know, the, the worst thing I tell parents you can do is, is have a, you know, a tenuous relationship with your child's teachers. Whereas if you offer your support, 
make a you know bullet point things that would be helpful for them. You're starting the school year off on a much better note and you're being specific about what helps your child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that shows the teacher also that if they do need to contact you, that when they do contact you, it's not going to be you blaming them. And it's going to be, they're going to be more apt and more comfortable to reach out to you because they know, you know, they know you're not the parent who's going to be like, there's no way, not my kid, or, you know, why didn't you do this? Or So when I think when you gently let them know, look, I know I'd like you to be gentle with them mm-hmm. when you can and and help. But also I want you to know that I do think that it's a team effort and we are aware. So, right. you know, I think that opening up that communication is it, they're appreciative. And I think when the time comes, you know, that, that you have to be appreciative in return, you know, that both sides. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a former school social worker and, you know, I've, I've been there in the trenches with, with teachers. And I think often people don't realize how many multiple demands teachers are juggling at once. And people often personalize it maybe when, you know, a 504 plan isn't being followed. And what I always say to people is, you know, it's the, the teachers dealing with 10 kids in the class with 504 plans and another 10 kids with IEPs or, you know, whatever it is. And for one person to manage all this and to remember to, you know, in the moment, you know, pr- provide these accommodations at all times, that's, it's not realistic. You know, mm-hmm. what, what we ask of teachers today is not realistic. So the more supportive you can be, the better. Right. Absolutely. And the more your child's going to get out of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to, to, you know, to say, I know you talk about medication a lot. We mm-hmm. are, you know, in the middle of trying to find the right combination. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is a journey. Like it's not yeah. easy. Um, you know, we've dealt with our son being extremely tired at times mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it not being the right mix and the constant changing and right. finding the right dosage finding the right doctor, finding a doctor who takes your insurance, or if they don't, even if they don't take your insurance and the waiting periods and the wait lists, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's unreal. Do you have any guidance for parents? Number one, who say, who don't want to try medication. Um, And, and again, I know that everybody has their own feelings is on their own journey. Um, I am a big proponent of medication, um, you know, just for the fact that I've been on it for a long time and it's mm-hmm. saved my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but, but just, just to give a different perspective, not, you know, again, not telling anybody what to do. Everybody needs to consult their own doctor and yeah. their own experience, but just from your, you know, a, a, an expert professional opinion, what do you think? Yeah. Well, one thing I just want to explain to people first is that, you know, the the meta the way ADHD treatment is going for kids is that pedi- it's going towards pediatricians completely prescribing. In all of the United States, except for the Northeast and New England, there is a severe shortage of child psychiatrists. In the Northeast and New England, there is a moderate shortage. So, and this is not changing anytime in the future. So this is where things are going with pediatricians prescribing. So I just want everyone to, to know that first. You know, what I, I, ironically, I had a video about this come out today. And what I tell people is, you know, number one, please do not get medical information from Facebook groups. Okay. You, you don't want inform, you don't want people's opinions about information. You don't want to hear what, what worked or didn't work for their child because what worked or didn't work for their child is not necessarily going to work for yours. What I want people to know is that the research data, the long-term research data on people with ADHD who go unmedicated is not good. 
Okay. And one of the most concerning aspects of this is that untreated ADHD increases your chances of developing a substance abuse problem. It doubles it actually. So people, one of the things I often hear is, you know, well, I'm scared it's going to, you know, being on a stimulant is going to lead to a substance abuse problem. Actually, the opposite is true. Not being on a stimulant is much as doubles your chances of developing a substance abuse problem. And I will tell you for people with ADHD who develop substance abuse problems, you know, they don't stop it. They don't stop at marijuana. What their, their two go-to drugs are cocaine and crystal meth, which are stimulants. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, besides that, I mean, every facet of life is impacted by untreated ADHD, you know? So what I want people to do is if you want to go a medication free route, that's fine. I will tell you that all these alternative treatments, none of them have shown long-term efficacy whatsoever. Okay. And, and the most effective treatment is medication. And then secondly, you know, medication in conjunction with parent training. So if, you know, just please read read what's out there about, you know, the, the research data on this. So you can make an educated decision and don't go by your emotions and don't go, go by other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Right. And you got to just do, you know, you got to think about it from your own perspective. And that's, that's the thing. I think people are always worried that they're going to be judged or it's seen as a crutch or a weakness. And my goodness, it is, I, in my mind, it is the opposite. You know, it is something that, is you're I don't know you're doing you're doing what you what you have to do you know you're doing something that is uh, just makes sense. Well, I'll I mean I fully agree with you. Yes, but I'll take it one step further. It may be saving your child's life. Yeah, literally, right, a hundred percent. I yes, absolutely. Um, and I yeah, oh my god, I the whole there's what you said about a shortage. That's it's unreal. I mean, yeah. It's crazy that what's happening and the numbers of people, I think maybe pandemic related or whatever, who need one have gone up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a huge problem. Yeah. It's not getting better. No, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love what you're doing. I love how you make it so relatable. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I think that the whole, I, we started this journey, I mean, really like, two years ago when our daughter came to us, you know, to talk about it. And, and when I researched autism and and the ADHD component for her, it was amazing because I went on this one journey and then my son who for a long time, you know, was doing okay socially, you know, because Mm -hmm. he was younger and then all of a sudden things kind of took a nosedive I was then on the journey in a completely like other direction and finding out. So the amount of information on all the sort of branches of this, you know, wild thing that's, that's happening. um, I, I can't even believe the amount of information that is, is out there and all of the, you know, the different, um, the different, nuances and mm-hmm. and connections and the the overlaps from you know OCD and just depression and anxiety and and all of the things that are mm-hmm. intertwined it is it it feels like a mountain you know that is just it's so hard and so I'm so glad that you're breaking it down for people and you know making it much easier to consume and and to thank tackle. You. So thank you. Yeah, thank Tell you. everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So you can find me on YouTube. So type in ADHD on YouTube. I put out new videos every week and they're also on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. 
Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. And you are on Instagram as also at ADHD. The ADHD dude. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking yeah. to us. And, um, you know, it's just, it's great what you're doing. And I know that people are going to run and, you know, go watch your videos because um, you do, you make it, you simplify it in a way that is really great and makes thank it you. feel like it's easier to, to figure out. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. So thank it. you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Oh, of course. This Come is back, the first uh, this is this is just different for me. Usually the podcasts I do are parenting ones or yeah, so this was cool. This is oh, this good. Is a new experience. Yeah. Good. I'm so, so glad. Well, yeah. Well, I think in all like facets of life now, I mean, we we talk about ADHD from, you know, on marriage martinis from mm-hmm. so many different perspectives, you know, couples and um, you know, the the, the idea of just the, like we, what we talked about with moms, just all of a sudden mm-hmm. understanding it, or, you know, it's just, I feel like there's still so much mystery and misinformation and misunderstanding that like yes. to sift through that it's, it's nice to sit down and just really be able to share, you know, what we've learned as factual and what we've learned as um, you know, the more empathetic, sympathetic side of it all that is so mm-hmm. lacking in our society. Yes. So, um, yeah. So the more, you know, the more information we can spread about it, I hope the more em- uh, empathetic and sympathetic people will be and will tell their children to be in response. Absolutely. And that. that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Because that's how the culture shifts is when we teach our children to be more understanding and empathetic towards people with differences. Yeah, That's right. And when we don't say in front of them, oh, you know, she's so ADHD or he's, right. you know, the language matters and little, Absolutely. The, little the little things matter. So, um, you know, and, and I don't think people don't do it on purpose. They just, they don't, they just don't know. You know, I think I probably did it until I didn't do it anymore because I realized. Right. So, yeah. So look, I have a saying I'll end with this that, you know, I believe all parents are doing the best they can at any given moment with the information they have available to them. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You have a good night. You too. Thank you. 